Welcome to BlackRock Sermons. Today you'll be hearing from Steve Tresh, Attitude in Altitude. What does it take to ruin your day? It's a question I've been thinking about lately. Uh, I've been thinking about how this question separates ordinary people from people with extraordinary joy. What does it take to ruin your day? Ordinary people let ordinary things get them down. Uh, and if they hit these ordinary people, a few negative circumstances in, uh, in one 24-hour period, it can ruin their day. Somebody belittles me, criticizes me, accuses me in a social situation, and I go down. The washing machine breaks or something else that is going to cost me some time and money, I go down. I get some bad news about my kid at school or bad news in my stack of bills and I go down. And if I'm ordinary, put two or three of these negative circumstances together and it ruins my day. But I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary, extraordinarily joyful. But I can't be the joyful person I want to be. If I have a calendar full of ruined days, I can't be the joyful person that Jesus wants me to be if I constantly let circumstances bring me down. But the good news is that I don't need to be ordinary. I don't need in Jesus to let circumstances get me down, and I don't need to lead a life marked with ruined days. God's Word contains the secret to living in joy even in the midst of negative circumstances, and the secret is found in the connection between attitude and altitude. And this secret is found in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. So would you please turn in your Bible or device to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk is uh, one of God's Old Testament messengers. And the best way to find his book is to go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and then page back four short books. The book of Habakkuk is three chapters long, and we're going to study the last three verses of chapter 3, the last chapter. Habakkuk is interesting because it is one of uh, several books in the Bible where the whole message and purpose of the book is summarized in the very last few verses of the book. But before we get to the last three verses, let me set it up. Uh, Habakkuk is a prophet or a spokesman for God. Uh, And his message comes to us in a really interesting format. In the first two chapters, Habakkuk records a conversation with God. In this conversation, Habakkuk represents God's people and asks God a bunch of questions about the negative circumstances that we're really bringing everybody down. Uh, Habakkuk asks, asks some questions about evil. Uh, he asks God why he allows bad things to happen. Why God lets his people get hurt and disappointed. Uh, asks God why sometimes he doesn't come through with a rescue. Uh, why God leaves his people hanging with problems that seem to get worse instead of better. But like I say, it's a conversation. And so God answers back. Uh, God responds to all these questions 
by asking questions back. Uh, But more than questions, God points to the fact that as God, he sees things that his people can't see. As God, he knows things that his people can't understand. God also responds by telling his people that he has a plan for their good. But this good plan includes bad things. It includes negative circumstances. God explains how his plan for good even includes his people coming under attack. How even the enemies of his people who attack his people are part of God's plan to bless his people. And this conversation goes on for two chapters. For two chapters, Habakkuk voices these questions from people who are down, down, down in discouragement and disappointment and despair. And for two chapters, God responds to these people, telling them that they don't need to be down. They don't need to live with ruined days because he has a good plan for them because he is faithful and trustworthy. Then comes chapter 3, the final chapter, and it's Habakkuk's personal conclusion. In chapter 3, Habakkuk weighs the reasons God's people give for being down and then weighs the reasons God gives for trusting him and his plan. And after weighing these two sides, Habakkuk states his conclusion in the last three verses of the book, beginning with chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will Be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So Habakkuk weighs the reasons people give for being down in the midst of negative circumstances. And he weighs the reasons God gives to trust him. And Habakkuk makes his decision. He puts his stake in the ground and affirms his trust in God. Habakkuk adopts a trusting attitude toward God, and he says this attitude enables him to tread the heights. He says that God makes his feet like the feet of a deer. Now, Habakkuk is not picturing one of our Connecticut deer. Uh, Habakkuk is not picturing our deer that wander aimlessly into backyards, you know, chewing leaves and giving people Lyme disease. Uh, No, Habakkuk is picturing the majestic mountain deer of his neighborhood. He's talking about these animals which were legendary for a sure-footedness that allowed them to live in complete security because they could go higher than any of their predators and could live in lofty places of abundant food and shelter and peace and beauty. And Habakkuk says that his attitude of trust in God allows him to live at an altitude of peace and security and joy. 
And that is the secret that God wants to teach me. God wants to teach me the all-important connection between attitude and altitude. Now, if you look in uh, any airplane cockpit, uh, you will see just a whole series of gauges all over. Uh, and you'll, out of these many dashboard dials, uh, you'll hear a pilot say that there are six instruments that are most important. And these six gauges are grouped together in what is called the six-pack. And out of these six instruments, there are two gauges that are considered to be the most important for successful flight. Uh, there are two all-important gauges. The first one is called the altimeter. And the altimeter measures the plane's height in altitude above sea level. The second all-important gauge is called the attitude indicator. Uh, maybe you've seen this gauge. It uh, features a silhouette of an airplane uh, in the center of some crosshairs uh, that graphically depicts the plane's attitude, whether the nose is up or down, whether it's banking right or left. And both gauges are vital to successful flight. But there is a principle that makes one of these gauges the most important. The principle is that the line of impact between these two instruments goes only one way. The attitude of the plane affects the altitude of the plane. But the altitude of the plane does not affect the attitude. Attitude determines altitude and never the other way around. The attitude of the plane determines the altitude. The attitude, whether the plane's nose is up or down, banking left or right, that determines the height of the airplane. But the altitude, the height, has no effect on the attitude, whether it's high or low or banking right or left. This is a very important principle because in this case, the key to successful flying is also the key to successful living. Attitude determines altitude. And most people get this principle backwards. People who are down in negativity and discouragement and discontent will sometimes say, if I could just rise up to where I want to be, then I wouldn't be negative or discontent. They say, if I could just have all my financial worries eliminated, then I could have a good attitude. If God would just arrange to uh, solve all my problems and difficulties, then I could have a God-pleasing attitude of trust in God. But it doesn't work that way. Altitude does not determine my attitude. My attitude determines my altitude. The only way to a higher spiritual altitude is through a better spiritual attitude. Habakkuk found uh, his feet going to higher altitudes after his heart adopted better attitudes. Habakkuk's secret to taking my joy to the next level is to focus on God and an attitude of trust in God. And the same goes for you. 
Uh, we think that rising to the next level with God will give us a deeper trust in God. But it's the opposite. A deeper trust in God raises us up to the next level with God and His joy. With God, attitude determines altitude. And starting in verse 18, Habakkuk describes this God-pleasing attitude we're talking about when he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk says the secret to reaching higher joy is not better circumstances, it's more trust in the sovereign Lord. The key word is sovereign. Uh, this is a biblical word that summarizes everything that God said in the first two chapters in Habakkuk. Uh, the people said, God, we're down because you let us go through hardship and difficulties. And God's reply is, don't be down. Just trust my sovereignty. I am sovereign. I am totally in control. And I use my power to orchestrate events to work out a plan for you that is good and perfect. So trust me, God's sovereignty refers to God's infinite power to work out his perfect plan for his people. And Habakkuk says, I believe it. I believe that God is sovereign and that he has a perfect plan for my life. And that's why I can live in joy. I trust God. And that attitude gives me the strength to live somewhere above my predators, above my negative circumstances, and live in abundance, peace, and complete security. Habakkuk says that trusting the sovereign Lord allows him to live above his predators, and he describes those negative circumstances in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, there, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk says that the secret to his joy includes his refusal to focus on figs. And you may say to yourself, who cares about figs? I don't even like figs. I had a fig newton once, and I hated it. The, the, the little round seeds, I hated it. Don't miss the point. Uh, when Habakkuk talks about figs and grapes and olives, he's listing his personal gauges uh, that, his, that he and his people of his day used to measure their level of well-being. Uh, we have different gauges in the 21st century. Today, we don't focus on figs and olives, right? Uh, we focus on our internal pain level indicator, our circumstance dial, and our happiness meters. Uh, in the 21st century, to calculate uh, our well-being, we first look at our pain level indicator. And if I'm experiencing physical or emotional or uh, relational pain, then I'm not doing well. Uh, but after calculating my personal pain indicator and the level reads no significant pain, does that mean that I'm doing well? No, because next I have to check my personal circumstance dial. Uh, and if some of my circumstances fall on the negative side of the dial, then I'm not doing well. If I'm in a situation of mounting debt, 
I'm not doing well. If I'm in a dead-end job, I'm not doing well. If my mother-in-law has come for a visit of undetermined length, I'm not doing well. But if my personal circumstance dial uh, records no adverse uh, situations, does that mean I'm doing well? Uh, No, because next I have to read my happiness meter. My happiness meter measures the level of my unfulfilled desires. Uh, If I have an unfulfilled desire to be married, well, then I'm not doing well as long as I'm single. If I have an unfulfilled desire for a bigger house, I'm not doing well as long as I'm still in my smaller house. If my dream is to be independently wealthy, live in Hawaii, and look great in a swimsuit, and none of those apply to me, My happiness meter says I'm not doing well, and I never will. Well, same with Habakkuk. When he talks about figs and grapes and olives, he's listing the personal gauges that people in his day used to measure well-being. If you lived in 500 B.C., you would have focused on figs. Because figs are high-energy food that you can dry and you can store for the winter months when you can't grow food. And if there are no buds on the fig trees, it can drive you bonkers with worry about the future. When clean water is scarce and you need wine grapes, and if there's no grapes on the vines, what are you going to drink? When you use olives, uh, olive oil to light your lamps and a failed olive crop means that you have no light and no heat and you could be in the cold and the dark. When there are no sheep in the pen, it means that uh, you don't have any wool. If you don't have any wool, you don't have clothes or blankets to keep you warm. And if you have no cattle in the stall, it means that you have no emergency fund. Having a cow meant milk on a daily basis, but it also meant meat in a crisis or in a quick sale. It meant emergency money in the bank. So figs, grapes, olives, and cows, these were the personal gauges in Habakkuk's day. In Habakkuk's day, if you had an abundance of these things, you had food, clothes, light, heat, and money in the bank. But if you didn't have figs and grapes and olives and sheep and cow then your personal gauges were all at a panic level. And if Habakkuk were writing today, he might say, uh, though I'm downsized out of a job and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, though I want to have a child and I can't, though I can't see how I'm ever going to save for retirement, though at times my family life is chaotic and sometimes things seem to be getting worse instead of better, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk learned the secret. The secret to being an extraordinarily joyful person is to put my focus on my sovereign Lord and not my personal gauges. The secret is to make sure that I'm attaching my life joy to what is eternal and permanent in a relationship with the sovereign Jesus and not my fickle feelings, my fleeting desires, and my unpredictable circumstances that are out of my control. The secret is to trust God. And I've been taking opportunities uh, to, when I can, to put this secret to work. I had a uh, heart procedure uh, some weeks back And as the day approached, I began to feel some real apprehension about this surgery. Uh, In my 25 years of being a pastor, I've been involved with 
many hundreds of surgical stories. And I know that with every surgery, there comes a chance of complications. But you know what? That didn't bother me nearly as much as the stories. Uh, After I told you about my upcoming procedure, hundreds of you came up to me with stories of how you know somebody who had my exact same surgery. And how you miss that person now. And <laughs> or how, how they'll never be the same. And then you skip away saying, I'll be praying for you. And, uh, and after about the first hundred of those stories, I, I started to get a little worried. Uh, But God called me back to the truth of this text. And he called me back to this strong, strong and strength through trust in a sovereign Lord who works out his perfect plan for my life. And it's true. Attitude determines altitude. And as I trusted in God, He enabled me to tread on the heights of peace and joy. I rolled into that procedure trusting that no matter what happened or didn't happen, I could have total peace in God's perfect plan. Now the strange thing is that in my case, there were complications. But I found peace in trusting God. Now, those complications are completely resolved. But before the resolution, I also determined that if my heart complications never improved, I would trust God with that too. This is what it means to stay on the heights. It doesn't mean trusting that God will make everything perfect uh, and positive. It means that trusting God is the secret, no matter what the circumstances are. Good news, bad news. Good times, bad times. Attitude determines altitude. And trusting God is the attitude that lifts you to a life of extraordinary joy. So, uh, you know, although my heart procedure, you know, seemed like a, a big attitude test for me, you know, I got to be honest with you. In some ways, the real test comes in the small situations. It really comes in those things that keep coming day after day. Someone I consider a friend uh, shot me an email uh, recently that I interpreted as insulting and mean. And it was about to ruin my day. When God reminded me to just trust him. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, I tell you how to handle this. I tell you that uh, you, you, to resolve conflict, you go to this friend and you meet with that person face to face and you work it out if you can. Do that. Trust me with the results. I said, okay, I'll trust you. And I'm so glad I did because I went to that person and we resolved the conflict. It was a misunderstanding. And I'm so glad that I didn't let that little email ruin my day. The secret is to refuse to let your circumstances bring you down because you instead are going to let God and a trust in God keep you up. 
This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength, my sovereign Jesus. No matter what circumstance you face today, you can tread the heights of joy when you focus on God and hold on to His promises and trust in His sovereign, perfect plan for your life. Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were sisters and Christ followers in Nazi-occupied Holland. Because they loved God, uh, Corey and Betsy's parents uh, started hiding their Jewish neighbors uh, in order to save them from uh, being sent to concentration camps. But eventually, the ten booms were discovered, and so Corey and Betsy and the neighbors they were hiding were all sent to prison camp. Their conditions were squalid, awful. Uh, Betsy and Corey were housed in barracks uh, of wooden platforms holding uh, mattresses filled with rancid straw. And these platforms were made for uh, four women, uh, but instead 12 women or more crowded into each one. And what made these bunks even more unbearable, or most unbearable, was that these mattresses were infested with fleas, flesh-biting fleas. And Corey Tenboom writes that uh, there was a difference between her and her sister Betsy. Corey was por- prone to complain, uh, but Betsy kept treading the heights of joy through her trust in God, even in concentration camp. Betsy maintained this trusting attitude toward God that Corey loved and she loathed at the same time. Every night, Betsy held a prayer meeting in Barracks 28 where she taught her fellow prisoners that it was possible to be joyful about everything when you focus on God and trust Him. Uh, Corey challenged Betsy on this and said, Betsy, God doesn't have a plan for everything. I mean, how can we be joyful about these overcrowded conditions? And Betsy said, well, we can rejoice in the overcrowding because it means that there are more people who can join us and hear God's word in these prayer meetings. And Corey couldn't argue with that. Uh, So she said, yeah, but how can we be joyful about the fleas. And Betsy replied that well, she didn't know all the details of, of God's plan, but that she trusted God's sovereign plan and how it included even the tiniest things, even fleas. Betsy's joy was so attractive that soon the entire barracks gathered with Betsy in prayer, and many of the women gave their lives Uh, to Jesus and and found hope. But the amazing thing is that all these women would gather in Barracks 28 and none of the guards ever came in to stop it. They never came in. The guards would march back and forth. They could see them passing the the windows and they never came in. And uh, many weeks later, the prisoners overheard the guards talking about Barracks 28 and how no guards would go in. 
which explained why Betsy's prayer meetings were not ever discovered. The guards then were overheard giving the reason why the guards never entered Barracks 28. It was because of the fleas. And at that moment, Corrie Ten Boom says she came to the understanding that the Sovereign Lord has a plan even for the tiny fleas in her life. What are the fleas in your life? Do you have some problems? Do you have some difficulties? have some worries today? Do you have some fleas that are ruining your day? If you're ordinary, these fleas will bring you down and steal your joy. But you do not have to be ordinary. Like Habakkuk, you can weigh the reasons to be down and then choose to be a person of extraordinary joy. You can choose your joy level in life. If you choose an attitude of trust in Jesus, your sovereign God, you can tread the heights of joy and stay there. Because your attitude determines your altitude. Let's talk to God. Let me just remind you that we have some uh, prayer team members up here in the front. And uh, if you'd like to just come for 30 seconds to uh, share a reason to uh, bring some flea, some small problem, some big problem uh, to God, would you just uh, come forward and let us, uh, let us pray with you. Lord, thank you for uh, the truth of, of your word. The truth that uh, you have a plan for our lives, not just because you love us, but because this is who you are. You are the sovereign Lord. And you have infinite power to work out a perfect plan for us, your people. Would you please stand now as we close? 